Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Then we're finishing up the uh, second part of last week's message. I, I can't explain to you why. Uh, God started dealing with me about changing some things in the message. Uh, it was already finished like uh, Tuesday of uh, the week before last Sunday. And uh, um, on Saturday night, I started giving some additional thoughts to that end. Sunday morning, that started happening. I'm backstage waiting to come out uh, last Sunday before the first service. And I just definitely felt like I was supposed to do the first two points uh, last week and then finish up the message this week. I uh, can't tell you exactly why. Maybe someone wasn't going to be here that God uh, knows needed to hear uh, this part and pack a little bit more. Or maybe the message that would have been this week that will now be uh, next week. But I just know without any doubt that I was uh, having leadership and I needed to change things. Uh, so if you were not here last week, I'm going to do a little quick review of what we talked about last week. And then we'll get to the third point if we look at the updates. If you're given on the way in the bulletin, we call it our updates. Uh, you can see uh, by looking at it uh, where we'll pick up at. All the rest of the blanks are filled in for you. And we'll pick up in a moment in point number three. What we're talking about is how we are set apart to be different. And the background to that, the reason for that, uh, is, uh, is found both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We're told in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God Himself is holy, that God is holy, holy, holy. And uh, another way to view that, some Bible scholars will say, well, if you use the word different, that kind of translates to our mind in a different way what it means to be holy. God is different, different, different. God is different than anyone else, anything else. God Himself is different. Isaiah told us He's holy, holy, holy. Revelation, we find it there. Uh, that God is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. But the Bible also tells us this. The Bible tells us not only is God holy, not only is God different, but He calls upon His people to be different also. And that's in the Old and in the New Testament. Uh, God was speaking to His people, the, the Jews, to Israel, in Leviticus 11.44, and He said, Consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Be different because I am different. And then in 1 Peter, and that's where we spent the majority of the time last week, that's where we'll finish up the message today, in 1 Peter chapter 1. But in 1 Peter, under divine inspiration, as Peter's writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, uh, he also quotes from this in Leviticus. And it says, But as he who called you is holy, in other words, as God himself is different, you also be holy. You also be different in all your conduct. Now this part of it, but all your conduct, since it is written, since it stands written, that, that we shall be holy for I am holy. And then he quotes that out of Leviticus. So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we as believers, the Bible tells us that we're to be holy or we're to live different lives. The uh, title for the message that we're in uh, last week and this week, originally when I laid out the, the series, I called the message that uh, we're set apart uh, to, to, to live godly lives. And, and that's true. And that would fit in what we're talking about. 
But I, I try to use the word different because maybe you'd connect your mind to that better than just uh, hearing a, a biblical phrase of uh, live holy uh, uh, you know, something like that. But we need to understand that that also means we're living different. We're to be different than the rest of the world. Jesus didn't save us to leave us just like we used to be. So uh, what does that look like? How, how can you and I be more different, be more set apart. Now, I've done this several times in this series because I want you to keep your present in your mind. Doctrinally speaking, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have been set apart. And the biblical word for that is sanctified or sanctification. You have been set apart. That's a done deal. It's a finished act. You forever are set apart to God because of the finished work of Jesus and you trust the Christ as your Savior. But practically speaking, while we are set apart or sanctified permanently by trusting in Christ, in a practical way, God is still working on our lives. And God wants us to become more and more sanctified, or more and more set apart, or more and more like Jesus. And that's kind of the aspect of being set apart that we're talking about. God has set us apart to be different. So what does it look like? Maybe how can we be more different by looking at this text that we're in in, in 1 Peter, uh, live more different lives as, as believers? Uh, to begin with, we need to, we need to think differently. Uh, our thinking ought to be different as believers. I'm not going to read off the passage. You've got the notes there uh, with you. But we're told there to prepare our minds. And I told you last week a phrase used there in the Greek means to gird up your mind. It gives the idea of a runner uh, girding up the long roads that they wear in that day and time to where you're ready and able to run. So as believers, we need to prepare our minds like that. We need to prepare our minds for action, it tells us there, where we are ready and willing uh, to serve the Lord. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be serious-minded uh, as believers. And where we're really thinking about the things of God. We're thinking differently than we used to. And we also need to set our hope fully on the grace that would be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you experience God's grace. But you see, I don't think it will be until He appears that we're like Him that we can fully appreciate and fully understand how magnificent, how deep, how great His grace really is. And there's a day that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, He's kind of bringing the full load of that grace to where because we'll be like Him, we'll understand it better than we ever have. But the point is there, it is this. It will help us live more different lives. If you and I will be forward-thinking, and instead of us just thinking about our circumstances or thinking about the world that we live in, uh, you and I as believers need to be more thinking, realizing that Jesus is coming back one day. And we don't know when that might happen. And if you and I will have our focus upon the fact that Jesus can come back at any moment, then that ought to help us live more different lives if we're focused upon the fact that Jesus may come back at any time. So our thinking ought to be, be different. Also, our behavior, our behavior, I'm jumping ahead, uh, guys, so just help us out, but our behavior ought to be different. Just jump forward to the, okay, thanks, Jim. In uh, verse 14 and 15, he says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he said, don't live like you used to live. Don't think like you used to. Don't act like you used to act. As obedient children, don't be conformed. Don't still be formed or made after 
the way you used to live your life, the passions of your former ignorance. But as He, talking about God, as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So He tells us we ought to be like obedient children. Now, some of us may not know what that looks like. Some of us didn't know what it looked like when we were kids. Amen? Because we, we fell in love. But, but, but the thought here is, is this. Uh, the Bible literally tells us if you're a believer, you have inherited the divine nature of God. And since we have the divine nature of God living in our lives, we ought to act more like God. We ought to act more like Jesus. We, we ought to be obedient children because He's our Father. And one of the first steps into us living lives as we should as believers is when we're facing circumstances or temptation or decisions, whatever it might be, uh, we ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Because that way it helps me to be obedient children. Here, here, here's why, be a child. Here's why. My father said this. So if I'm going to be obedient to my father, then I need to be paying attention to what he, he tells us. So we're to live lives as obedient children, he tells us, in that passage of Scripture. We're to be obedient children. But, but we're also to do this. We're to live changed lives. We're to live changed lives. Our lives ought to be the way they used to be before. And by changed life, that means we have a forsaken past. We don't need to keep living in the past. And we also have an embraced identity. He said, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You don't need to live the same way that you used to live before Christ became your Savior. Nowhere does the Bible teach because we've received the grace of God, it's okay to just live like you used to live. It doesn't matter how you live. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we become new creations in Christ. We become new, new creatures. We're not to be the same that we used to be. So we need to learn to forsake our past. Don't allow the devil to keep you pulled back in your past and say that's who you were and that's who you still have to be. No, that's not true. If you're a Christian, you don't still have to be who you used to be. Amen? And you don't need to allow who you used to be to haunt you to keep you from doing the things that God wants you to do now either. We need to also embrace our identity as believers. But as He who called you is holy, God's holy, the one that called us, the one that saved us is holy, our new identity is this. We're to also be holy in all of our conduct, all of our behavior. We're, we're to be living lives that would be, would be honorable to Christ. We'll finish up today talking a lot about uh, living honorable lives to Christ. But He tells us that we ought to embrace this identity that we have as believers. Because God is holy, my identity as a Christian is this. Because my Father is holy, I need to embrace that as my new identity. I'm trying to live a different life. A holy life. Because God Himself is different. Now, we covered two passages of Scripture that I'm not going to take time to, to read through. I'm just going to pull some things out. They give us a pretty good hint about being different, about living different lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's several things in that text. You can take time and read it later. I walked through it last week, and if you weren't here, you can look it up and read it. Like I said, it's in your notes in the updates. But he tells us to avoid things like, like sexual immorality. He says there's things we should not be about in our lives because God didn't call us to impurity. God called us to holiness, or God called us to live different lives. Is a way for you to think about that. We also looked at a passage in Galatians. And in Galatians, he says, Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And then he gives us this long list that shows us things that kind of gratify or that are works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. That's what I told you last week. I wish it wasn't there. Robberies, deceptions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things want to inherit the kingdom of God. So we find a, a list of, of behavioral type things that we need to forsake that we don't need to still live out in our lives. But then as we keep reading in Galatians 5, we find some things that we need in our lives, some things that ought to be part of our behavior. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He, he said it's not just a concept. It's not just head knowledge. It's one thing for us to know that, all right, I'm supposed to live like that. I'm supposed to have those fruits of the Holy Spirit growing in my life because I'm a believer. It's not just a concept that you know about. He said there that we're to also walk by the Spirit. We're to also have those things active in our lives to where people see those things as fruits in our lives. So if we're going to live more set-apart lives to God by living different lives, we need to think differently. Our behavior needs to be different. Thirdly, and that's what we're picking up today in our notes. Thirdly, our model should be different. Our model should be different. The, the model that you and I have to model our lives after should be different for those of us who know Christ as our Savior. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. There's the model. There's the instructions. There's the model that God gives us. He, he says as, as He's holy. So He's our model. That's where we're supposed to look to. As it is written, on the very account of that it was written. Because it is recorded in the Scripture. Because it stands written. It's not going to pass away. It stands written in the Scripture that God is holy. We're also supposed to be holy. God said be holy. You shall be and will be. He, he said well, that needs to be our goal. More or less what is involved in that, in that word study. Uh, we need to be holy. Uh, we need to kind of be existing in, in that state of holiness. Trying to be sacred, ceremonially pure. Boy, down this saying we need to live the way Jesus wants us to live. Uh, and, and, and he says this, because, and, and there's actually, when you look at it in the Greek, uh, there, there's a double statement. It's like God says, I, I exist. You don't see that in English. But there's a double emphasis there where God is saying, I, I exist. It's like one of the great I am statements. So God is saying, I exist. I've always existed. He says it there twice in a double statement. There's never been a time that God had a beginning. There's never been a time that God will have an ending. God's eternal. He has always existed. And by the way, He existed as holy. God has always existed as sacred, pure, blameless, ceremonially consecrated, clean, innocent. That's the way God has always existed. So since God lives that type of existence, that's who God is. You and I, as the followers of Christ, we need to strive to live like that. We need to strive to live different lives 
or holy lives ourselves. The model that we have as believers is different than the rest of the world. The model that you have should not be your favorite sports hero or your favorite sports team. Nothing against sports at all. I thoroughly enjoyed the other night when we lost to Carolina. <laughs> but, but that's not going to be one bit in eternity. That's not important at all out in eternity. Now, some of you Virginia fans might be saying, well, I don't know where Carolina lost to Virginia last time. Yeah. But you see, that doesn't matter in eternity. But that's why some people live our lives. Let me call a phrase from years ago to see if anybody can finish it. I want to be like Mike. Mike. Michael Jordan. That should be our goal as believers. To be like Michael Jordan. Our goal shouldn't be to be like our, our, our favorite rock star. Now, before you think I'm being legalistic and things like that, guys, I grew up in the 70s. I listened to all kinds of music that would surprise you. I, I'll tell you sometimes that I, you know one of the first concerts, live concerts I went to was to see Kiss in concert. They look like the preacher turned demon possession. Let's have what everybody else you can think about this. But hey, th- that should not be a model for me to follow. That no matter how great the rock star is, that's not the model for you to follow. The, the, the best teacher that maybe you love, or a professor that you love, should not be the model of you to follow. A pastor, a preacher, an evangelist should not be the model for you to follow, except to the degree that that person is modeling Christ for you. You can have a sports hero that's a Christian, if he's modeling Christ, then, then you can follow some parts about his life. Same thing with some music hero or whatever. Same thing as uh, uh, even a politician. Might be hard to find, but you may be able to find that, but that's not supposed to be our, our model. Our model, the point I'm simply trying to make is this. Our model as Christians should be Jesus Christ. I know we're talking about God being holy, but guess what? Jesus is God in the flesh. And if you want to see what God acts like, look at the life of Jesus. If you want to see how God thinks, look at the life of Jesus. If you want to see how God acts, look the life of Jesus. If you want to see how God loves, look the life of Jesus. If you want to understand more about God, you simply look the life of Jesus. And for us as believers, our Savior is to be the model for our life. Because He's holy, we're supposed to be holy. He ought to be the model that we are following. Not only should our model be different, our motives. Our motives should be different. How can we live different lives? Our thinking needs to be different. Our behavior needs to be different. Our model needs to be different. And our, and our motive should be different. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Let me stop just a minute. I'll keep reading in a second. Before you understand what he means by throughout the time of your exile, Peter's writing to believers in Asia Minor that have been spread all across Asia Minor. That's why he refers to them in their exile. They're, they're living all across Asia Minor. 
Uh, Peter, depending on the translation you read, Peter calls them things like strangers and pilgrims, or sojourners and pilgrims. The point he's making to them is Asia Minor, wherever they were living at the time, was not their home. Jerusalem's not really their home either. And he was pointing out to them that you're just passing through this world. This is not your home. Now what he applies here is he talks directly to these people who are exiled in Asia Minor, these Jewish believers that are exiled all across Asia Minor. While it is different, the way it's applied to us is still true. See, if you know Christ as your Savior, so to speak, you're an exile. Because this world is not your home. You're a sojourner. You're passing through this world. This is not your home. Your home eventually is with Jesus. Your home is eventually in heaven. You're just passing through this world. So our motives ought to be to be different. He says, knowing that you are ransomed from a few taught ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So I think there are two motives that we can clearly find in those verses that ought to help us live more different lives if we'll, be, if we'll allow these things to really be our motives. Here's the first motive. Our first motive ought to be to honor the Father. If you're a Christian, your motive ought to be to honor the Father. The moment you receive Christ as Savior, something else also happened. God Himself became your Father. And you were birthed into His family. You were brought into His family. God's your Father. By the way, who judges, and we don't like to talk about that, who judges impartially. So if you're coming before a judge that's going to judge impartially, in other words, God as a judge isn't going to kind of weaken something in your life and say, you know what, I'm going to ignore that because of who you are. Now, to be clear about this, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, God is not going to judge you for your sins. Here's why. He judged your sins through Jesus on the cross. But the Bible teaches there's a thing called the judgment seat of Christ. And He is going to judge our works one day. And I don't necessarily think that's going to be a cakewalk you know, for us. But He looks at our lives and, and, and why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? Why, you know, where's this work that I wanted you to be involved? Why didn't you win this person to Christ? Why, why didn't you teach these kids? Why, why weren't you engaged in this one? So, we ought to have a motive of honoring the Father for one reason is He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Talking about our works one day. So because of that, we ought to conduct ourselves with fear. The, the, the phrase with or in, depending on your translation, means in a fixed position. We as believers ought to have this fixed position of having a phobos this, this fear, this uh, awareness of who God is, understanding who God is and being in awe uh, of who God is, having this fear of God, that needs to be part of our lives. Let, let me stop and meddle for a moment, and then I'll pick back up. I think one of the biggest problems we have in our culture today is that people no longer fear God. They think God is just, you know, some Santa Claus or something. They come to when they want something. And, and even in the lives of believers, they, they flippantly live their lives however they want to because they think, well, you know, I'm saved by grace. It's okay. I'm saved by grace. 
remember that thought of the judgment seat of Christ if you're authentically believing. I, I think we ought to be fearful. We ought to have this, this fear because He is an impartial judge. But as believers, I think we ought to have a different fear. Because He's our Father. If you know Christ as your Savior, God's your Father. We ought to have a fear that we would do something that dishonors or hurts the heart of our Father. Not just that He's judge, but He's my dad. He's my Father. He's the one that loved me so much He put His Son on a cross for me. So I ought to have the desire to be set apart and live a different life for Him because of what He's done for me, because He's my Father. I ought to have this, this focus. I ought to have this constant fear that I'm walking in, that I'll do something to dishonor my Father. You've probably got illustrations in your life that you can think of. Maybe with your parents. I, I don't really have any necessarily with my father because as most of you know, my father was murdered when I was in the fifth grade. My father was an alcoholic and he worked out of town a lot, so I, I didn't get a lot of engagement there. I can't remember though one of the first times that I really that I really struggled in my heart because I knew I had kind of wounded my mother. Sorry, I'm trying to wrestle with emotion right now. Uh, Friday was three years since she passed. <clears throat> but I remember just a few weeks after I got my driver's license, having my first wreck in her car, her only car, the only car we had as a family, and my horse ticket. She had let me use the car to ride into North Wilkesboro. I was shopping to get Becky something for her birthday. And uh, and I decided not to listen to what Mama said. Mama said go to an old Booksboro and go right straight back. There's a little road called the Country Club Road that has nice curves in it. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to see how fast I can take those curves. What I found out was how fast I could not take those curves. <laughs> But I put her car, her 66 Bonneville, into an embankment, warped the frame off. Yeah, they were able to fix it, but that was the only car we had. I know how much Mama struggled being a single parent trying to provide for myself and my younger brother. And, and I had to let her know, I've almost totally lost your car and I disobeyed you not doing what you want me to do. Well, I was too old to get a whipping at that point in time, probably. <laughs> You can get a whip without getting a whip, amen? amen? In your heart. And the only reason I tell that story is, is to illustrate why it wasn't my father, it was my mother, because of my father being gone. Because we need, to, we need to have a concern in our lives that we would dishonor our Heavenly Father. We ought to have that kind of fear in our lives that somehow we will dishonor Him. What, what's, your, what's your fear in your life? Then what, what motive do you have in your life? Is your motive to honor the Heavenly Father? Is your fear that you'll dishonor Him? Or are you more afraid that you won't make all the money you won't make? You won't get to have all the toys you want to have? You won't get to have all the fun you want to have? 
your life? What's your main goal when you get up in the morning? It is your goal, man, I've got to make a little money, and, and, and I've got to try and get rich, and, and I've got to get all these toys that I really think I need and that I really want, and, 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 and that I, I need to, to go in and, and have all the fun the world tells me I can have. Is that what you think about in the morning? Because if it is, as a Christian, you've got the wrong goal and the wrong motive. Our motive ought to be this, to live our lives in a way that honors our Father. We ought to live our lives with a fear that somehow we're going to dishonor our Father. So what motive do you have in your life? Not only should we have the motive of honoring the Father, we ought to have the motive of honoring, of honoring Christ. The motive to honor Christ. Knowing that you were ransomed. We were paid for. We were bought. From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Guys, keep it on the screen. I'll come back to the word studies in just a minute. But. I need to give you a little bit of background because he says there, knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And unless you're Jewish, that doesn't apply specifically in the same way to you and I. Peter's writing to Jewish believers and he's saying, hey, all the stuff that was passed down to you, obeying the Ten Commandments, that's your pathway to heaven. Or all the legalistic things the Pharisees had added into it later that the forefathers had added in and added in and added in as though that were ways to become self-righteous and earn your own righteousness. He's telling them all that past that you thought would redeem you. That's not what you're ransomed by. That's not what redeemed you. But God did ransom you out of those things. Now while you may not be Jewish and have that same background, all of us still have a faith history. All of us still have a faith culture the way we grew up. Some of you may have grown up with parents teaching you as though maybe you're already in your way to heaven. Or you've gone to churches that were so legalistic that it was like you're, you have to be good enough. You, you have to you obey the commandments and things like that in order to make it to heaven. You have to cut your hair like we do. And you have to dress like we do. And you have to read the kind of Bible we tell you you're supposed to read. Some of you may have a, a, a faith culture that you grew up in like that. Well, see, that's not what saves you. That can't save you. The only thing that can save us is what we were redeemed by. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can provide salvation. So while you not, might not be in the same faith culture of what the Jews were, all of us probably have some things we need to get over from our past that we've kind of been taught to trust in. What you and I need to trust in, period, for our salvation is the completed, finished work of of Jesus on the cross. It said we were ransomed. We were redeemed. We were set loose. We, this redemption price was paid. Not with perishable things. And, and in that phrase, in the Greek, there's an absolute negative there in the tense of the Greek. He said you are absolutely not purchased by God with corruptible, decay, and shriveled away, withering things like silver or gold. That's not what God redeemed us with. 
God redeemed us with the valuable, the costly. Here's God's view of the blood of His Son. The valuable, the costly. Here's what the word means of precious in the Greek. Valuable, costly, honored, esteemed, beloved. Blood, the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. The anointed one that was sent to do exactly that. To shed His blood, which was God's blood that He sent upon the cross. He shed upon the cross for us. Our only hope of redemption is the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not the futile ways of your past or things you've been taught. The only hope we have is the shed blood of Jesus. Which begs me to say this. When Jesus hadn't done that for us, in light of who Jesus is and a lot of what Jesus has done for us, Surely, 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 surely the least we can do, the least we can do is to live different lives for Him. To live set-apart lives for Him. Because He he followed us with His precious shed blood. We weren't purchased with gold and silver. We were purchased with our own goodness, our own perceived goodness that we don't have. The Bible says there's no one good, no, no one. Instead, we were purchased, we were redeemed by the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. We ought to live differently. Think about this for a minute. We ought to live differently for Jesus because He died differently us. You know what I mean by that? Let me unpack it just a bit. The death of Jesus was different than any other death that's ever taken place or ever will take place. There have been people who have died for other people in battle or maybe protecting their family or whatever it may be, trying to rescue someone. There have been people all through history that have died for somebody else. But there's never been anyone that died like Jesus except Jesus. Because when Jesus died for us, He was a perfect, sinless sacrifice. All those Old Testament sacrifices were just a picture of Him. They could not fully redeem man. What God did and what God had always planned to do was send His Son in the form of human flesh. And His Son live a perfect, sinless life. And His Son go to the cross and be nailed to the cross. And His Son shed God's blood perfect, pure blood. And He died in the place of our sins. He died differently than anyone has ever died or anyone ever will die. <coughs> and that's why you and I ought to live differently for Him. Because He died so differently for us. As Christians, we've been set apart to be different. New Testament does not teach. You're saved by grace. Go and live however you want to for the rest of your life. We have been set apart to be holy because God is holy. We've been set apart to live our lives different because He's different. I'm not talking about sinless perfection because we still are human and we still live in this fallen world. But I am saying that we ought to at least as believers have a goal and struggle and try as much as we can to honor the Father and honor the Savior, the Son that died on the cross for us. We ought to strive to be different because God is different. We ought to strive to be holy because God is holy. 
I'm going to read a passage of Scripture and then I'll tell you a story and then we're done for the day. I think this passage of Scripture in Titus kind of unpacks for us everything we've been talking about if you'll listen closely to it. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. See, that's our only hope, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. That's what brings salvation. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, don't stop reading there, because a lot of times we love to read about grace, and we think, man, how, how wonderful it is that we're saved by grace. And some people will take grace as an occasion or an opportunity to keep living the way they want to live. After all, I'm on the way to heaven. Is the way they think. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But notice what it teaches us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Being saved by grace doesn't mean it's okay to keep saying yes to everything the world has to offer. It teaches us to say no to those things. To say no to ungodliness or worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know, a lot of times we'll have an excuse. Well, well, the past that we live in such a bad world and, and, and everything, it's just really hard to live for Jesus. In this present age. Not just when you get to heaven. In this present age. We're going to be allowing God's grace to teach us to say no Done godliness or really passions to live self-control upright by the lives. While we wait for the blessed hope, we talked about that last week and I'll hit the highlights over this morning. While we're waiting for the blessed hope, the return of Christ coming back, His glorious appearing of, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, here's a little side point. If anyone ever tells you the Bible does not teach that Jesus is God, right there it is in one statement. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Talking about His appearing, His second coming. Who gave Himself for us to redeem us so we can go to heaven and keep living however we want to live. Is that what the Bible says? To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own. Notice this. Eager to do what is good. We shouldn't be eager to do what is wrong. We ought to be saying no to that. Our eagerness as believers should be to do what is right, what is good, what is godly, to live different lives because He's different, to live holy lives because He's holy, because He's working on our lives, purifying for Himself a people that are His very. So I prepared this message a couple of weeks ago. Um, I ran across this story that I think when we consider the sacrifice of Jesus, we ought to at least certainly say, in light of what Jesus paid on the cross for us, we ought to want to obey Him. We should obey Him and live holy lives for His glory. I mean, think about that. How Jesus suffered, what He went through for you, don't you think we ought to at least say, ought to live different? Because He's dead. The story is this. There's a lady by the name, a young lady by the name of Frances Ridley Havergale. She saw a picture, of course, not a photograph, a painting of uh, 
of Christ on the cross. And the caption underneath it, this was years ago, so they were using the Elizabethan English. I did this for thee. What hast thou done for me? Her heart was so encapsulated by that image of Jesus on the cross and that statement that was underneath that. I, I did this for you. I did this for you. What, what have you done for me in return is, is more or less the, the thought. So she sat down and she wrote a poem. And after she wrote the poem, she really wasn't happy with, with the way it turned out. And, and she went over and she threw it in the fire. In the fireplace. The problem is, I'll be loud. I imagine like I'm talking to my kids. The <laughs> brand new one, I'm not sure what went. But she threw it in the fire, and guess what happened? The the note that she had written the poem on come rolling back out of the fire. Unscathed, unburned. So her dad said, maybe I'll publish that. Do you think so? You know, you try to burn it, it comes rolling back out. So she published it. Years later, we came a hymn. And the hymn said this. I gave my life for thee. My precious blood I shed. That thou might ransom thee and quicker from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? I think that's a worthy question. In light of us being redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot, that you and I ought to be concerned in light of all that Jesus has done for us, what have we done? What are we doing for Him? Are we living different lives for Him? Let's pray. Father, we uh, Father, we ask you to speak to our hearts right now. Father, forgive us when uh, when we, as people you've redeemed, you purchased with the precious shed blood of your Son, forgive us when we say yes to the Lord. Forgive us when we fail to remember the price that you paid for us and we flippantly live our lives like the rest of society and the rest of our culture. Father, I pray you deal with us as individuals, but God deal with us corporately as a church. Help us to ask the question, what are we doing for you? Help us to evaluate the choices we're making in lives, the, 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 the goals that we have in, in life the models that we're following in life, the way we think in our life, the behavior we have in our life. 
God, help us to seriously evaluate our lives as believers this morning and ask ourselves if we're thinking the way you'd have us to, if we're behaving the way you'd have us to, if we're if we're following Jesus as our model, if our, if our motives are to honor you, Father, and to honor your Son and what he did for us on the cross. And Father, if we don't like that, and we don't enjoy looking at it, and we don't like what the answers are, Father, we pray you change us. God forbid that we would ask you to change or ask you to wink at our sins. God, change us. Change our lives to be more different lives for you. Father, if there's anyone in this place this morning that's never, ever said yes to Christ, they've never said yes to Jesus. Help them to recognize this morning that's their only hope. It's not trying to live a good life because they can't do it. It's not trying to obey the law because they can't do it. Father, the only hope we have is to admit that we're sinners who cannot save ourselves. And to repent and turn from that sin and turn to You by faith. And put unreserved trust in the finished work of Jesus and the blood that He shed on the cross for our sins. Deal with us now as we wait before you for some Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand. God speak to you. We invite you to come and pray. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why put it on? The only hope, the only method of salvation that God has chosen is His Son, that precious blood that was shed on the cross for you. He paid the final penalty, the full penalty for your sin, but you have to trust in that by faith. If you've not done so, why not come today and let us know you'd like to find out more about it. Even if you don't fully understand, we'll have someone to stay with you after the service and talk to you more about it. But as believers, probably all of us can say, I can be a little bit more different than I am for Jesus. I can live more of a different life than I'm currently living right now. My goals and my motives need to be different than what they are. And you can even... Bring that down to small incremental things that maybe we don't think about a lot of times. If you're a believer in Christ, the current goal we've got right now, month to month, that we've been talking about some that you heard from uh, last week from Bethany is uh, bringing items for Operation Christmas time. You know, that's part of being different as anything else is. You go to the store to buy something for yourself, don't just buy something for yourself, buy something for Jesus. Buy something for a kid that can get it in a shoebox and, and it be used for, for God's glory. Wherever you work at, the people around you, you need to be engaged in it. You need to be talking to I'll say more about that in a moment. There's all kinds of ways we can be living more different lives for Jesus. And if you feel like that's where you are, if you feel like there's some things in your life that shouldn't be there as a believer, ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to help you kill those things in your life. And ask God to help you live a different life for Him because He's different, because He's holy. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. 
We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.